start off with Jericho Street Fair that's on Canal Street in Jericho um, on Saturday it's uh, sort of 12 till 4.30 but I think the, ma- the music goes on later so the last act starts at 8 uh, I think this is organised by the old bookbinders but anyway it's a Jericho community event um, there are lots of stalls a quite heavy emphasis on food never a bad thing <laughs> in a festival um, lots of music, live music happening, Morris dancers, bouncy castle, cream teas, crepery, a barbecue, taste of Tibet are going to be yes. there. <laughs> Games and real ales. One of the stalls is going to be Jericho Baby and Toddler Group and they're raising money for the Oxford Baby Cafes and as you may know, I'm quite a fan of them. Um, donations uh, for their stall will be matched, uh, so every pound counts double, um, so you can enjoy delicious things and help feed babies too. Also on Saturday, we have SIPO Festival. This is a festival of science and poetry. Um, and it's a day festival happening in St Hilda's College, 11 till 5, and it's £35. Um, and there are four readers, speakers. Uh, Tony Curtis, that's Tony Curtis, the Welsh poet, not Tony Curtis, the Hollywood actor, appearing posthumously. <laughs> I, I was thinking. <laughs> This is Tony Curtis and uh, Leslie Saunders featuring as the poets and Dr Sam Gulani, the consultant oncologist at Cheltenham General Hospital and Dr Sarah Watkinson appearing for the science. Um, Sam Gulani is also the curator of the Medicine Unboxed Creative Prize which is an annual prize uh, for people illuminating the relationship between the arts and medicine. Ah. So he's already obviously somebody who's involved in this area. Mm. Um, it's been convened by the Poets' House, um, and I think usually science provides the content and uh, the, the poetry would be the sort of medium. So the, the art-science uh. relationship can sometimes be a bit one-sided, but I think this is a, a good two-way discussion. Um, talking, for instance, about how arts can inform doctors about interacting with patients, uh, how, how to have a relationship that's, that's real and uh, meaningful and isn't just sort of... You know, patting the patient on the head and, and sticking a thermometer in the mouth. Um, so that will involve discussion, poetry reading, an open mic, and uh, some nice lunch um, in St Hilda's as well. Okay. And of course, we're about to start the Euros. If you're a fan and you would like to watch them with a good bit of atmosphere in a pub in Oxford, we have a selection of places where they will be showing the matches. So, starting in the city centre, we have got the Royal Blenheim um, on St Ebbs. This is particularly good for ales. Uh, They usually have ten or so ales, and you can order them in weird sizes, says our beer and sport correspondent, Dan, (laughs) who has provided me with this lovely list, um, including thirds and two-thirds. So if you want to try loads and loads of beers, or perhaps, you know, award yourself with some drink every time somebody scores and you're expecting a high-scoring match, that's the way to go. Um, Then we have O'Neill's on George Street, obviously especially good if you're an Ireland fan. Uh, Wahoo on Hythebridge Street, St Aldate's Tavern on Queen Street and Eurobar on George Street, appropriately named. (laughs) In the Cowley Road area, we have um, the City Arms, Cricketers Arms on Temple Road, uh, Port Mahon, or slightly further out, Prince of Wales on Horsepath Road. 
Um, Headington, Mason's Arms, Headington Quarry, good pub, says Deb. <laughs> uh, White Horse and the Royal Standard, and the Red Lion in Old Marston. Um, and then in North Oxford, obviously Woodstock and Banbury Roads, slight dearth of pubs along there. But in Wolvercote, we've got the White Hart and Banbury Road, Dewdrop Inn. Mm. Um, and Dan's favourite picks, best for ale drinkers, Mason's Arms in Headington and the Royal Blenheim. Best for loud, rowdy atmosphere, <laughs> Wahoo and O'Neill's City Arms and the White Horse again in Headington. <laughs> Come on, football! <laughs> I love your sincerity. That's my I didn't even have to Google that one. I know, I know that one already. <laughs> okay, getting already now. Um, Modern Art Oxford are celebrating 50 years of their existence and history and their programme this year is made up of a series of interlinking exhibitions called Kaleidoscope and in the process of opening at the moment is the exhibition Mystics and Rationalists um, which is taken from a quote from one of the featured artists Sol Lewitt and said conceptual artists are mystics rather than rationalists because they leap to conclusions which logic can't reach but the title of the exhibition suggests otherwise, Mystics and Rationalists. There's a bit of logic at work here as well. So Sol DeWitt um, is, was one of the early theorists of conceptual art um, in, the, in the late 60s. You can probably see how art history has developed in response to his writings with such thoughts as this. If the artist carried through his idea and makes it into visible form, then all the steps in the process are of importance. The idea itself, even if not made visual, is as much a work of art as any finished product. That sounds okay. cool, but hard to display. Yeah. <laughs> Very hard to display, but um, some, some of um, Modern Art Oxford's exhibitions recently, definitely the ones I've seen and read about, have had exhibits which feature things unfinished or apparently unfinished, or artists who very much about the process as well as the, the finished article. Um, I don't know where you stand on the kid who put his glasses in the gallery in San Francisco oh, yeah. last week, but <laughs> possibly also art. An Irish artist called Dorothy Cross uh, uses find objects and has a, there's a bit of a strand of a conceptual use of cowhide in her work, <laughs> uh, which she says makes her feel like a cross between a scientist and a butcher. Um, <laughs> Uh, once she was in Norway and discovered a, a sieve made from a cow's udder, I was followed by enough of a revelation to inspire her. Um, so you get works like um, The Virgin Shroud, which combines the two. It's like a it's kind of Frisian, <laughs> I think. So a Frisian overgarment and the artist's grandmother's wedding train kind of making a figure of the, of the Virgin. It's pretty symbolically loaded and... What would Freud say? Um, <laughs> is something she herself. The, there's a preview of the whole exhibition um, this Friday at 6.30pm and everything's open to the public by Saturday um, in normal opening hours from 11 to 6. So get on down <laughs> and see what car items may or may not be there. Parlez-vous français? Oui? Oui, un peu. I do not. <laughs> but if, like me, you would like to improve your French, I would recommend going to the Alliance Francaise d'Oxford, which is based in North Oxford, right next to Jericho. It opened in September with the aim to offer French classes for all ages and abilities, alongside some fantastic cultural events. 
So in the past, they've had champagne tasting, mm. Easter egg hunts, tales for children. Um, there's a book club, and their latest event is a macaron workshop. Mm. I spoke to Florence, the director of AF, as I'm going to call it now, <laughs> about the workshop. Well, we're very excited about the macaron uh, w- uh, workshop. It's happening in a professional pâtisserie, so it's as it happens in a real French pâtisserie with French ingredients. And uh, our pâtissier Hervé Gatineau is very experienced and he will be the one actually conducting the uh, the workshop. So what you will learn is the technique, which I don't know personally, <laughs> but how to do the macarons, how to uh, prepare the paste that mm. goes into it. And uh, uh, in fact, Jade, our communication assistant, has produced a little glossary for us to be able to uh, know what the French and equivalents are. Uh, all around the pâtisserie vocabulary to learn a bit more. So you'd be doing the uh, macaron from beginning to the end. And of course, at the end, you go away with a few macarons yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, And when is that happening? Uh, This is uh, next uh, Saturday, I think it is. And uh, there are very limited spaces. So it's already fully booked, but you can uh, definitely sign up. It's on the 18th of June. Uh, You can definitely sign up for the next one we think if it's if it's successful we might open up and do another one so uh, do send us an email if you're interested and uh, you could uh, sign up for the next one so listen to the oxcast to hear about the work taking place in schools what events are coming up including a photography competition and a parisian chic workshop and (laughs) what advice they give to beginners make sure to keep an eye out on our website for the wonderful events they offer and yeah, it just seems like a really lovely environment to learn French. And the teachers seem to really put emphasis on the importance of communication. So it's more on speaking rather than um, grammar, which is great. <laughs> Not like uh, all those written exercises you do in school and then you never say anything to anybody. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> um, and they're quite small classes, so it's not as intimidating um, with a maximum number of eight people. So it just sounds ideal. Ah, parfait. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can find out more information at af-oxford.org. Bibliotheque. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, <I love> <laughs> We had French tapes when I was little, which we listened to in the car. And you only ever listened to about the first ten minutes of the first one repeatedly. And it, it was it was like really boring French for businessmen, which I think my right. grandfather had bought at some stage, possibly in France. And um, and it was a slightly American voice explaining oh. everything. And the only phrase I remember from it was this poor harassed woman saying, Excusez-moi, je suis pressé. Excusez-moi, je suis pressé. <laughs> Which means, I'm sorry, I'm in a hurry. It's quite useful. Je suis pressé. You have to sound slightly just depressed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, here is a roundup of this week's theatre. The possibly my favourite thing ever, um, is happening in the theatre this week. It is Ballet Black at the Oxford Playhouse and it's on Friday at 8pm and tickets start at £11.50. Ballet Black is a professional ballet company for international dancers of black and Asian descent. Um, This is their vision statement. We aim to bring ballet to a more culturally diverse audience by celebrating black and Asian dancers in ballet. We perform and offer community-driven classes for dancers and students, young and old. Our ultimate goal is to see a fundamental change in the number of black and Asian dancers in mainstream ballet companies, making that vision wonderfully unnecessary. Uh 
Um, which is an interesting point, isn't it? Because you think about the opportunities for the dancers, whereas actually the major impact is going to be on the audiences. Do you see yourself represented on stage? If not, why not? What does that say about you and your culture? Um, so... Um, there's a video on the Playhouse website that you can see at the moment showing the dancers rehearsing and talking about Ballet Black and the opening shot is of sewing laces into some new shoes and of course they're those pale shoes that are made to be invisible against white skin um, which is a very poignant image I think of how white centric Mm. ballet is which isn't hugely surprising since it's a Western European tradition but nevertheless um, it does not reflect the diversity of people in Western Europe at all Um, and of course there are some really good dancers coming from places like the Cuban National Ballet Um, Cuban National Ballet was interesting because of the communism in Cuba obviously it was run as a state thing they go headhunting round all the villages, all the areas of of Cuba um, finding people who look like they're the right sort of proportions, who can move easily, who can pick up steps and then they get funded or they did do anyway they got funded to train they got funded to dance, they got a salary equal to a doctor. Um, so that was really opening up ballet for ordinary people. And here we're still really quite elitist about mm. private dance classes and um, and tickets to go and see the ballet being, being terribly expensive. Um, and I think anything that we can do to change that is a really good thing. Uh, so on this Friday is a triple bill. Um, they're also giving opportunities to new choreographers, so so this is all new dance stuff. I think they've sold out at the Barbican two nights running oh, fairly wow. recently, um, so there may not be many tickets left, but uh, tickets start at 11.50 for that. On to our family-friendly events now. So I've got Oakfest, which is being held at the Oakley C of E Combined School in, you guessed it, Oakley. <laughs> Uh, which is on Saturday from 1pm until midnight. So it's a child-friendly beer and music festival. (laughs) (laughs) I love child-friendly beer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they've got uh, lots of bands playing. I think it's over 14 acts. So they include Sin Fiction, who I've uh, seen. They're some indie rock. Very good. Um, Hair of the Dog, the band with no name. (laughs) Helpful. Uh, the Vibe, Georgie Bird, who has a lovely voice, and lots more, including the children from the school drumming. <laughs> Sounds cool. fun. Uh, there's lots of delicious food, including scotch eggs from Kirsty's Kitchen, strawberries and cream, and a barbecue. Oh. Now, to keep the kids happy, there are, there are lots of sports workshops happening, so you can learn some martial arts, you can do some rollerblading. <laughs> Amazing. There's a dressing up competition with a royal theme because, of course, it's the official birthday of the Queen. And they'll even be screening England versus Russia so you don't have to rush off to the pub. <laughs> and, of course, the most child friendly activity of all axe and knife throwing. <laughs> uh, the website says they're all fully insured, so it should be fine. Great, great. <laughs> I think as long as you aim for the. Rollerbladers. So, <laughs> so is the is the beer before before the axe throwing? Uh, I'm hoping they're going to stop anyone drinking a beer before the axe throwing. Okay. Oh, yeah, fingers crossed for that. <laughs> so tickets are available from Oakley School, uh, the Eight Bells, and Long Crandon, or the Tame Guitar Shop. And at the moment, uh, you can get a free child's ticket with every adult ticket before Saturday. Cool. Now. <laughs> Onto possibly my favourite event of the week. 
it's time for the tame duck race. (laughs) 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 Um, By duck race, I do mean, of course, rubber ducks. They're not actually (laughs) making ducks race. Very tame. (laughs) Very tame. Um, Being held in tame. So that begins on Sunday at 10.45, with the race kicking off at 11. And it's being held at Priest End on the Old Town Bridge. So, the race is effectively a giant floating lottery which involves dropping more than 2,000 individually numbered rubber ducks into the River Tame. If you have bought a ticket with a number that matches one of the first three ducks over the line, you win a cash prize. It's fantastic. (laughs) It was a little bit like the Poo Sticks Championship last weekend. I wonder if the same people (laughs) could have both... (laughs) Yeah, maybe that uh, the person who won will go to this one. <laughs> um, all of the proceeds from the ticket sales are donated to local causes. It's being run by the Tame Roundtable group, which is great. And it's all going to be overseen by Captain Ducky, who apparently <laughs> follows the ducks in his own craft. Is, is, he, a, is he a giant duck? <laughs> no, I think he's a pirate. Okay. Is he a trained duck? <laughs> uh, oh. it's, it seems he ends up in the water quite a lot. Great. So tickets for this are on sale at the Cross Keys, at the Town Hall and Rumsey's, or you can even you can buy them from the Round Table store during Tame Carnival, which is on Saturday. It's £2 per duck. Now I've got some rubber duck facts. <laughs> Naturally. Bring them on, bring them on. Okay. So rubber ducks were initially made from a much harder rubber and they're intended as a chew toy. Now I didn't say uh, whether it was for dogs or children. Chew toys for children is not, not really a thing. Well, I can certainly attest to the fact that the rubber ducks do get chewed in the mouth by my son Ted every night. So he <laughs> has obviously communed with the inventor of rubber ducks yeah. without me having any say in it. <laughs> the Sun in 2001 reported that uh, Her Majesty the Queen had a rubber duck with an inflatable crown in her bathroom. <laughs> and it knew this how? <laughs> Apparently a builder was doing some work there and spotted it. Hmm. And this story prompted sales of rubber ducks to increase by 80%. Wow. Which is insane. 80%. <laughs> well, I hope that to celebrate the Queen's birthday, there will be a duck with a crown on Oh, fingers <laughs> crossed. It should be. It should and be. it's a better win as well, otherwise that would be treason, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Does it bring you a duck on, on Saturday? I think they provide the ducks. Okay. There was also another, um, I think they did a race at Hampton Court. This happens all over the place. Apparently, apparently. Um, I have no idea. There's a whole world of sporting endeavour. I know. Of. And they um, personally had blue ducks instead of the traditional yellow ducks because people kept throwing in their own ducks. Oh, I see. I wow, see. ducks race sabotage. <laughs> Fingers crossed there won't be any of that. I'm sure the captain will sort you out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check out our website for more details about these events. Not done. How could you celebrate the Queen's birthday better than with bomb throwing? Oh, England. <laughs> We've been waiting a long time for this. So, bun throwing, an Abingdon tradition that nowhere else in the country has, as far as we know. Um, the tradition dates back to the coronation of King George III in 1761. <laughs> wow. Since then, there have been apparently 33 official bun throws in Abingdon. Um, 13 of which have been in the lifetime of blogger Richard Godfried, who writes the excellent, excellent world of bun throwing blog, <laughs> which I recommend to everybody, uh, which lists all of the dates as this has happened. And the next one is here. Um, on Saturday, gathering at six o'clock for a seven o'clock start. You don't want to be late for this. You want to be in early and get your spot. <laughs> <laughs> the event is free. 
the event, if you don't know about bun throwing already, involves buns being thrown from the roof of Abingdon Museum into Abingdon Marketplace, <laughs> um, where everybody gathers to try and catch them. Um, and it's always um, marking royal occasions. Um, so the last one was William and Kate's wedding, I think. Oh. Uh, the buns are a bit like hot cross buns, but instead of a cross, they have an appropriate symbol or letter or something. Uh, so for William and Kate's wedding, there were W's and C's. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, don't know what they're going to have this time. You'll obviously have to go and find out. Hmm. Uh, simultaneously, there's an exhibition um, in Abingdon Museum featuring footage from past bun throwing <laughs> and some dried buns, <laughs> including one that's a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the stories it could tell. <laughs> I don't know where it's been stored all this time. Just at the back of someone's larder. Um, yeah, 6,000 buns should be thrown. So uh, Wow. Yeah, should be plenty of chance of getting one, I would think. Unless Abington Marketplace holds over 6,000 people. I, I don't know. Which it may do. I think the plan, the plan should be we go there with like a you know hidden bed seat or something and suddenly... <laughs> Suddenly unfurl it, catch a thousand buns. I think lots nice. of Ballet Black could uh, head there on Sunday with their silk sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Six people to hold it up. A collaboration. I see it now. I think Orla did say about people taking umbrellas mm. for the buns. Sneaky. Sneaky. But I like their way of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would hesitate to uh, endorse such a thing, but I'm sure there'll be some makeshift catching devices. <laughs> Get your lacrosse training in now. <laughs> Other sadly less bun-related events now. Um, there's, as ever, a wonderful variety of gigs and concerts happening um, over the next week. So a selection of these. Um, pretty much can't move for Shakespeare stuff <laughs> <laughs> this year. He's still busy, it seems. And on Saturday at Queen's College Chapel, um, there's a selection of choral settings of Shakespeare. So I guess these don't spring readily to mind, as they didn't with me. These include Vaughan Williams' Serenade to Music, which adapts dialogue from The Merchant of Venice, um, when they discuss the music of the spheres. And Sir John Taverner is on the bill, too. Um, um, which one? Presumably is three Shakespeare sonnets, which was the last piece he worked on, uh, which he was still tinkering with on the last day of his life. Um, and the third sonnet of which is poignantly the no longer mourn for me when I am dead um, it's going to be at the very least a bit lovely um, at 7.30pm on Saturday at the Queen's College Chapel and tickets are between 4 and £15 pounds. Um, it's also a gallery recital at the, the Bait Collection of Musical Instruments um, which we like to mention because they're a treasure trove of uh, instruments you might not have heard of or even heard played in the last couple of hundred years. Um, this time the viola de gamba is um, getting the, the spotlight um, so the, the Bait Collection Viol Consort will be presenting music from the 17th and 18th century. Finally a concert which is so cool, I'm going to be there. <laughs> um, it's Sona Jobarte uh, who's on a tour of the UK um, via Mali and the Gambia obviously. Um, <laughs> so uh, Sona is a, a griot, um, which is West African storyteller, singer, oral historian. It's fun. So the, the griot who keeps records of um, births, deaths, marriages, and um, mm. and the community goings on. Almost a little bit like the the Tlaquilo that we were talking about last week, who were 
enshrine things in graphics. So yeah, the Great plays a uh, big role in West African society, uh, but Sona uh, Jabarte is the first female Cora Virtuoso uh, to come from a West African Great family. Um, it's, I was going to say it's a male-dominated, but it's, it, it's an exclusively male tradition, or has been. Um, the skills are passed down from father to son and have been for the past seven centuries. But Unlike Tlaquilos, who could be male or female. Exactly. It's said <laughs> to be born on the right day. <laughs> That's so great. Um, this is at the North Wall Arts Centre um, next Wednesday, the 15th at 8pm. And tickets are £14, £12 concessions. Um, be there or be slightly more boring. For the lecture of the week I've chosen of tea and tiger and butterfly lion of warhorse and pink rabbit at the Sheldonian Theatre on Sunday at 11am. Now this will feature Judith Kerr who wrote uh, The Tiger Who Came to Tea and Mog the Forgetful Cat and Michael Morpogo who obviously wrote warhorse and the butterfly lion and they will be attempting to answer this question. Why is it that animals continue to be such an important feature in children's stories? Chairing the discussion is Nicolette Jones, who is the Sunday Times Children's Literary Editor, and this talk is suitable for children over the age of five. So that's of the of Tea and Tiger and Butterfly Lion, of Warhorse and Pink Rabbit at the Sheldonian Theatre on Sunday at 11am. Tickets are £15 for adults and between £6 and £8 for concessions. Uh, et finalement, uh, le cinéma. <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry, translation, a bit of a cinema roundup. So, part of the Studio Ghibli season, which has been on at the Phoenix Picture House, um, when Marnie was there, uh, is opening this Friday, and it's a new Studio Ghibli film, and possibly the last, probably the last, oh. um, which is very sad, And uh, but if you're not familiar with the studio, then there's lots more to discover. Um, it's based on Junji Robinson's children's book, um, it transplanted from Norfolk to uh, Sapporo, Japan, and it's beautiful, and I'll be there. But other than, but other than this, um, uh, my roundup is an absolute looch fest. <laughs> Ken, talking about Ken, not fish. Um, <laughs> Ken Looch is going to be guesting at a um, charity film screening, um, hosted by Model and Film Society. Um, we'll be around for a bit of an interview and Q and A afterwards. Um, that's this Friday. Tickets are going very very quickly, so there are very few places left over. They're showing Land and Freedom um, uh, from the 90s, which is more controversial than I um, was aware of. It was set in the 30s um, where a kind of politically engaged Liverpudlian man goes to fight in the Spanish Civil War. Um, uh, so he's aiming for the, to join the International Brigades, where people from anywhere would, uh, would join to uh, defend the country from fascism. Um, and as such, it's the uh, International Brigades Memorial Trust um, who are hosting the evening and interviewing Ken Loach. Um, so all ticket proceeds are going towards the IBMT's Oxford Volunteers Project um, to memorialise Oxford citizens who fought in Spain in the 1930s. This is grabbing your interest and you want to know more or aren't able to attend on Friday uh, then there's the documentary um, Versus the Life and Films of Ken Loach um, is also on at the Phoenix from Friday 
Make sure to follow us. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Daily Info Oxford. And for more details on all these events and the full interview with Florence and Florence, 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 Florence.